This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Baltimore Archbishop William E. Lurie celebrated his 45th anniversary as a priest May 14th and his 10th anniversary as Archbishop of Baltimore May 16th. This is Chris Gunty, Associate Publisher of Catholic Review Media. I sat down with the Archbishop for a wide-ranging chat about his ministry and pastoral plans. We could not include the entire hour-long interview in this show, but today we will pack in some of the Archbishop's comments about evangelization, the Eucharist, and much more on this episode of Catholic Review Radio. Thanks for being with us, Archbishop. Let's start by talking about evangelization. Your pastoral letters, A Light Brightly Visible, which was 2015, and A Light Brightly Visible 2.0, which was in 2021, focused on evangelization and helping parishes become centers for making missionary disciples. Why is this such a critical aspect for our church in this time? Evangelization is the mission the Lord gave us um, before he ascended into heaven. He said, go and preach the gospel and baptize. And that is a perennially valid mission. Um, It takes different forms at different times in the church's history. But today, um, it's very, very important because uh, in the society in which we live, Um, people really need to hear the gospel. They really need to know the person of Jesus Christ. They need to fall in love. Um, They need to bring the beauty, the joy, and the truth of the gospel to bear on our very secular culture. Our church has also lost ground. Some people have left the church without really knowing the Lord without really knowing their faith, without really seeing its beauty. It's up to us uh, to, um, to make contact, uh, to invite them back. Uh, evangelization, as Pope Paul VI said, is not just a program. Uh, it's not just an activity of the church. It's the church's deepest identity. You recently revamped your focus on evangelization to establish the Institute for Evangelization at the Archdiocese with parish renewal teams. What does that change mean? Uh, The approach that we are taking is dynamic. It's, uh, we, we, um, at the heart of uh, of the effort are the Emmaus teams. And these are well qualified missionary disciples who go out as teams and engage parishes um, in order to help foster their mission of evangelization. They work with pastors, they work with uh, parish staffs, uh, pastoral councils, finance councils, parishioners at large. um, Recognizing that evangelization is not a program but it is something that is 
uh, personal. And this personal contact, this personal engagement, uh, I think this has been a, a key element. And they have managed to engage in a very, very short time uh, more than half of our parishes. And I think in ways that, have, that are already proving to be very helpful. Mm -hmm. The Lord said, I'm gonna send you out two by two. That's what you're doing here. We're following the Lord's own method, two by two. Yeah. Why is it important to put the parish pastoral planning within the context of evangelization? Um, parish planning um, is not the same as corporate planning. If you're running a business, you might say, well, these branch offices are profitable these branch offices are in a growth area and these aren't. And we simply uh, do this according to profit and loss here. What we're talking about is, uh, is, uh, is the church, the body of Christ. Um, we are founded on the gospel. We exist for the gospel. And so as we look at demographic changes, as we look at sustainability, uh, the question is not how, how do we respond to the bottom line first and foremost, but how do we uh, bring communities together um, so that they can vibrantly fulfill the mission of evangelization? And that's more challenging, that's different, but I think that's what we're called to do. Mm -hmm. With the way parish planning is going, what do you see as the future for parish life in the archdiocese in the next five years? Uh, I, I think uh, that um, I'm looking forward to increased vitality, increased intentionality about evangelization, I'm looking forward to communities uh, that are centers of mission and that are doing a lot of outreach. Now, not every uh, parish community will survive in the way that it is currently configured. That's going to be true, but I'm, I, I'm not looking for any diminishment of mission, quite the contrary. Mm -hmm. Archbishop, you've written two pastoral reflections on racial justice. The first commemorated the 50th anniversary of the assassination of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and focused on the principles of nonviolent civil protest. The second actually acknowledged the church's disgraceful record on having owned enslaved people and on uh, not always welcome, being welcoming in ministry. What has been the reaction to those reflections and what progress has been made on the action steps you laid out in Journey to Racial Justice? Uh, it's, it's always dangerous to comment on, on how well or poorly one's own writings have been received, but generally I think the reaction has been positive. I, I think that uh, the Martin Luther King pastoral um, was well received, not only because it held up a great and prophetic leader in, in our culture, a religious and civil leader in our culture, but also because his approach, the nonviolent approach, is hugely important for the times in which we live. 
times that are so polarized and angry and oftentimes violent. Uh, so Martin Luther King's words from more than 50 years ago um, resonate now as much as they did uh, when he spoke them, maybe even more. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the journey to racial justice, I think that uh, there was a recognition that, that the church was trying to um, not only own up to its teaching, but own up to its past uh, and to learn from that past. And uh, as a result of that, um, there was formed a, a racial justice working group. Um, and that, that group um, expanded and intensified its work uh, after the issuance of that pastoral letter. It did what all groups did. It divided up into committees. <laughs> mm -hmm. But the committees were good. They, they were focus areas. And they gave me a set of recommendations, um, which uh, now there is a work group helping the archdiocese to implement these recommendations. We've also begun a series of conversations, synodal-style conversations, on racial justice all around the archdiocese. So hats off to uh, Bishop Dennis Madden, who has uh, in many ways pioneered this work, also to Mary Ellen Russell, um, who helped assemble uh, the Racial Justice Working Group. Um, that work has been carried forward now by Bishop Bruce Lewandowski. And I'd like to especially mention Sharita Thomas, who um, has really been working for us part-time and on an interim basis, but she's done more on that part-time basis than anyone I could imagine. And, and this work is something we are committed to doing long-term. How important is the work of Catholic Charities in serving people, Catholic and non-Catholic, within the footprint of the Archdiocese? Uh, Catholic Charities is, is a beautiful, beautiful work. It's, it's large. We are one of the larger Catholic Charities operations in the United States. Uh, I'm very proud of, uh, of its expanse. It has over 80 programs. It um, spans throughout the archdiocese. It's uh, led by an incredibly dedicated um, team of women and men, um, led by Bill McCarthy. And uh, I, I think it does wonderful, wonderful work. For example, uh, it's work with Head Start students, more than 1,000 Head Start students. Uh, case management. Everyone knows our daily bread. Everybody knows the workforce development they're doing. Uh, Catholic Charities is involved in housing and care for the elderly, uh, behavioral health tremendous amount of work with behavioral health um, and uh, emergency services. It's really, um, we say we recognize the dignity of every person at every stage of life. Catholic Charities makes that teaching incarnate in our midst. And uh, it's reaching uh, its centennial. It's, 
doing a large capital campaign, which is going extremely well. And uh, I'm just very proud of what Catholic Charities is doing. Awesome. After the break, we will hear more of Archbishop William Lorry's reflections on his 45 years as a priest and 10 years as Archbishop of Baltimore. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Review Radio. Archdiocese of Baltimore makes the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org accountability. Remember the spirit of your parish community, the power of worshiping together, the warmth of friends new and old who share your faith. Join us for Mass this weekend. Visit archbelt.org to find a Catholic parish near you. Feel the joy. Every child enters the world with limitless potential. Potential of mind. Potential of body. Potential of spirit. If there was only a place where that potential could be nurtured and challenged every day, where the limits of greatness, once unseen, could now be within reach. Catholic Schools, rise above. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. We're back on Catholic Review Radio, talking with Baltimore Archbishop William E. Laurie about his 10th anniversary as Archbishop of Baltimore, May 16th, and his 45th anniversary as a priest, May 14th. These are excerpts of a wide-ranging interview on multiple topics. Now that you've been a priest for 45 years, what are some of the most significant moments of, those, of that time? Well, I, that, that you could answer that in many different ways. I mean, you could answer it in being asked to do things you never thought you would be asked to do. Mm -hmm. um, I suppose uh, early on I was supposed to be a seminary professor at Mount St. Mary's Seminary. I was supposed to teach sacramental theology, got my doctorate, bought my books, had my lessons planned ready, and kaboom, I was Cardinal Hickey's secretary. <laughs> And we were going to try it for six months, and it turned into 18 years of direct service for him, different capacities, but direct service. Uh, becoming auxiliary bishop was probably a really big surprise to me because I assumed that uh, there was some much more senior priest in the archdiocese and that I figured one of them would become the auxiliary bishop. Um, that was kind of a surprise. But the biggest and most significant moments are none of those things. None of, none of the appointments, none of the responsibilities. Uh, really, the most significant moments have been in the confessional, when people have bared their soul to me, 
not as William E. Laurie, but as a priest. Um, when uh, I have been at people's deathbeds, um, when people have come and shared uh, their stories with me, uh, when, when uh, couples have come and, and they've had challenges, those remain the most significant things to me. That's why I always felt God called me to be a priest in the first place. And um, thankfully, those moments still happen. And uh, that's what I consider to be the deep beauty of the priesthood. It's not about power. It is not about power. It is about these moments when through, it's not you, it's the Lord working through you that is able to listen and offer a healing touch. It's what gets me up in the morning. How's your mom doing? How old is she now? Mom's 102. Uh, someone said to me, uh, well, your dad lived to be almost 99. Your mom's 102. You're going to be around a while. I always say, well, mom and dad live sensibly, and <laughs> you know, the, the jury is certainly out. Mom is amazing. She, um, um, she, she is confined to a nursing home. Her mobility is limited, but her mind and heart are not. And I call her every single day. Um, except once in a while travel might get in the way. But we, we, we chat, and uh, mom uh, is tracking, and she's still mom. That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. We're about to finish up the year of the Eucharist that you uh, established uh, to try to get people on fire for, for the real presence. The U.S. bishops are launching a three-year project, uh, the Eucharist Revival Project, why, why is the Eucharist so important to what, we have, what um, we're doing? So um, if you look at, at, at the structure of the Gospel of Matthew, I'm, Matthew's on my mind today, um, Jesus preaches the Gospel, then he works his miracles. That's kind of, and then he suffers his passion and death for our redemption. That's what the Mass is. First, Jesus speaks to us in the scriptures. Then he touches our hearts and opens them up, works miracles of grace. And then we participate in what he did to save us, a saving death and resurrection. And last of all, he comes to abide in us. That's the goal of evangelization, is communion with the Lord of life and of love. And that is, that's my passion. And um, the year of the Eucharist has been like the preparatory year for the Eucharistic revival. I really want to take this occasion to invite Catholics from all around the archdiocese to converge on the Cathedral of Mary Our Queen on the Feast of Corpus Christi where we will close the year of the Eucharist and open the Eucharistic revival. I'd love to see that cathedral overflowing with people, and we'll have a beautiful Eucharistic procession that day. 
you always try to greet everybody after mass. I've seen you standing for hours, really, you know, doing that. Why? Why do you do that? And and how have these encounters affected your ministry? I just love it. Um, I just love meeting people. I love the opportunity to talk to them. I sometimes people. That's some of those significant moments. People will take me aside, and it might be a five-minute conversation, but you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. Um, I just think, uh, you know, it's one thing. People of God is not a concept. The people of God are people. And, and I, I think that the Pope says sometimes you're in front, sometimes you're in back. Sometimes you're in the midst. I'm actually most comfortable being in the midst. And I, I, I like it. I'm not a populist. You know, I, I'm, I'm not a politician. I don't remember everybody's face and name like some folks do. But I like being with people. And I, I love our Catholic community here. At the end of our lengthy interview, we asked Archbishop some fun questions about his favorite things to do and see. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Coffee. Who's your favorite saint? Blessed Virgin Mary, followed by Saint Joseph, followed by soon-to-be Saint Blessed Michael McGivney, we hope and pray. There you go. Why have you always had golden retrievers? Love that face. <laughs> What's your favorite route to walk, Bailey? Bolton Hill. How many books do you own? Too many. <laughs> What are your favorite genres to read, and what are you reading now? I uh, love to read biography. I'm reading a huge biography on Winston Churchill. Who's your favorite U.S. president? Well, I'm going to get in trouble on this one. Uh, this is not a political statement. It is a statement of historic interest. It's Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Why is that? He's a study in leadership. He's a fascinating personality, and, and the period of time in which he was president, uh, the Great Depression, uh, World War II, uh, a person who was a patrician yet connected with ordinary people. There's a lot to learn there. There's a lot not to learn, but there's a lot to learn. What are some of, some of your favorite places to pray in the Archdiocese? Um, uh, many. One, one is the Basilica. Now there's my little chapel upstairs, which is where I pray most often. The Cathedral of Mary, our Queen, which is uh, which I've come to love and appreciate deeply. I love uh, Our Lady of the Angels. is absolutely, absolutely lovely. Uh, I love um, uh, Saint Anne's in Grantsville. I've been there a couple of times. It's uh, Monsignor Hannon built that church and with, with his people. And you look out over the mountains, that's one of my favorite places to pray. But there's a lot of others. What are your, some of your favorite places to eat in the Archdiocese? Honestly, at home. I really like to be home. If I can have a night at home uh, and it's just me and the household, and my dog, it's my favorite place and situation in which to eat. 
How often do you get to exercise, and is that important for your health? I try every day. And yes, it is important for my health. Besides reading and spending time with Bailey, what's your favorite way to relax? Uh, frankly, exercising. Um, I think uh, when I, I try to do 45 minutes to an hour a day on, on the elliptical, otherwise I take a four to five mile walk. And that really, and, and sometimes I, on the elliptical, I, I, some people can read and some people can do meditation or say the rosary. I, I, I'm busy st staying on the machine. Um, but I walk though, I, I, can, I can clear my mind, think some things through, say a rosary, say a chaplet of divine mercy. And that's very relaxing to me. And in closing, what's the best thing about being Archbishop of Baltimore? Best thing about being Archbishop of Baltimore is Baltimore and the nine counties that go with it. It's, Baltimore is a uniquely important place, but I think the best thing for me is that this has become my home. And it's, God willing, my home for a long time to come. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time, Archbishop. Most welcome. Our conversation today with Archbishop William Laurie was part of an hour-long interview with him to mark his 45th anniversary as a priest and his 10th anniversary as Archbishop of Baltimore, both events celebrated in May 2022. For more on these stories, see the May print edition or visit our website, also on the Catholic Review's Facebook or Twitter pages, search hashtag Lori Milestones. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you have been listening to Catholic Review Radio. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow The Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.